as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I am Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot And I am Brooke Heim of the Not Entirely Perfect podcast And you know, the big movie this week, of course, is uh, Finding Dory which is the sequel to the, uh, I'd say, arguably one of Pixar's best, if not their best film, Finding Nemo. Which, if you can believe it, came out over 12 years ago. Like, what, 13 years ago, I think, is when the, the first one hit? Yeah. Um, but this one, Andrew Stanton, is back directing and takes place about a year after the events of Nemo. Uh, Dory, as voiced by Ellen DeGeneres, who is always lovely, is living with Marlon, uh, also voiced by Albert Brooks, and Nemo, who's voiced by a newcomer we don't care about. Um, living with them, having fun. She's going to school with Nemo, helping out as a teacher's aide. And suddenly, uh, through a strange series of events, begins to get little flashbacks of uh, her life as a child. Because as you remember, Dory can't make new memories. So she's completely forgotten the fact that she even has a family. Uh, in fact, the first five minutes of the film are kind of leading up to the events of how she met Marlon in the first movie. Uh, but yeah, she's forgotten she has parents or family or friends from when she was younger but it all starts to slowly uh slowly come back to her and it's kind of told in a series of flashbacks that both she and us get to uh experience together uh she finally remembers that yes she had a family uh they lived at the marine life institute in california so she takes off with marlin and nemo in tow in an attempt to reunite with her family and hopefully find the mother and father that she didn't know she was missing uh, meanwhile, she uh, meets up with Hank, who is a seven-armed octopus, a septopus, if you will, uh, who is voiced by Ed O'Neill, uh, who we all know from Married with Children and Modern Family. Uh, he's a Cleveland-bound octopus. He wants to get out of there instead of going back to the ocean, but he agrees to help her if she'll uh, help him get out of there as well. And, you know, wackiness kind of ensues. Uh, it's a really fun movie. It has a lot of throwbacks to Finding Nemo. Uh, make sure you stay through the end because there's a great, perfect after credit scene. Uh, but overall, yeah, it's it's a fun movie. Uh, Andy, Brooke, what do you guys think about it? I, I've been really trying to think about what to say for this one because I feel like I'm going to sound like a hypocrite after my review of... Angry Birds and some of the other kids' movies where I was like, I'm just not very critical of a kids' movie. If it's fun, it's fun. Um, This one, I've enjoyed it more since I left the theater than I did in the theater. I just... It was really cute, and it made me laugh, but it was so sad. (laughs) The whole thing, I just kept being sad throughout it. Like, I felt so bad for her, and I felt so bad for her parents, and it was so... It was dark to me, but but I also did really enjoy it. Um, I had my daughter with me. She's, like we know, she's four and a half. And I asked her what she thought of the movie afterwards. And she said, I laughed sometimes. And I said, yeah? And she goes, yeah, it was funny. And I said, well, how did you like it? And she said, well, I liked it more than my popcorn, but not as much as my caramel sucker because it was caramel. So <laughs> that's a great review. Like, I, I love that. <laughs> I feel like that kind of sums it up perfectly. Like it was really fun. I I felt like it was an animated grown-up movie. Um there were some some pretty intense themes throughout it, I thought, but 
I wish I wished that they had been a little bit more original with it. I felt like a lot of the themes were the same as the second as the first one. Um I and I know there was it was different, but I really liked the whale. I really liked Hank. He was Hank was a favorite. Like he's awesome. Hank was really fantastic, but I just felt like um, they could have done a lot more with it originally, and there could have been a little bit more consistency through it, but it was still really fun, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that this definitely had some sequelitis going on. I, I'm i kind of weird about the original Finding Nemo. I, I'm just kind of okay on it. Like, Adam, I completely respect your opinion that this is one of the best Pixar movies out there and I know a lot of people think that for me I just never really Finding Nemo was never what I loved but my kids loved it so it's constantly on I know the movie well and going into this as the sequel uh, I, I I feel a lot like Brooke did in terms of like well I feel like there's a lot of kind of been there done that um, in this that being said the the real reason to go see this are the new additions. I mean, Hank. I didn't know that I needed an Ed O'Neill voiced septopus until I saw this. Hank just absolutely blew me away, and a lot of the like sight gags and and him like trying to escape actually reminded me of this really weird, fun uh, video game called Octodad where you're this giant octopus dressed up in a human suit and you're trying to like escape out of things and and blend in with your surroundings and people can't know that you're actually an octopus even though it's like totally obvious that you are anyway uh the that's a for real thing that's a for real game it's actually really funny oh yeah it was really really well received too it's very very well critically received yeah, that that's a crazy, weird, fun game. Uh, but so, I mean, I loved all the stuff with Hank, and I, I loved all of the stuff, like you said, with Destiny the Whale Shark, uh, voiced by Caitlin Olson, uh, Sweet D from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. She did a great job, and I thought it's like I bringing didn't know back. That was her. Yeah, I know, right? I love, I love her so much. Yeah, so that was way fun, and and it 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 does kind of one of those like sequel prequel things. Like we're going to explain why Dory knows how to speak whale, and we're going to explain how like Dory knows all of these things, and 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 that's where the sequelitis kicks in. But um, the new stuff was great, and it's again original. The original parts are fun. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous to watch. So I I can't fault it that much. Um, Brooke, in terms of what you said about it being super dark, I thought, I really actually thought about three quarters of the way through the movie, like they're going to have an unhappy ending. They're going to go there. This right, movie... I did too. I was getting so depressed. Yeah, so... Uh, I, I was like, they're actually going to do it. They're not going to have like the happy ending for everyone. And uh, the fact that they almost went there made me really excited. And then the fact that they didn't, because <laughs> I'm sorry, spoiler alert, it's a kid's movie. Of course, they're not going to have a sad ending. But <laughs> I, 
I, well, I, it, it, like most Disney movies, it'll start out sad, but... Yeah. That would be like uh, if in Snow White and the Seven Doors, the witch wins and kills her. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? It's like, the movie is finding Dory, she goes out to find her family, and guess what? She doesn't. And she's alone for the rest of her life. When It's like real Dory. life. <laughs> and then she ends up on the menu at the Happy Sulu. Oh. Delicacy. You know, my... But my my son, who I took with me to go see this, he was in tears for, like, parts of this. He was, like, really, really scared for Dory that she was not going to be able to, to find her parents. And, uh, you know, the fact that Pixar is so clued in on their audience and knows how to get them where they are, I mean, just hats off to that. And so, like, my, I, I said... With, with Finding Nemo, my favorite part was always the credits. I don't mean that in terms of, like, the best part of the movie was when it was over, see? Ha-ha. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that the credits were were great and fun, and th- that's the same case here. Like, there's a, there's a whole thing where they basically do, like, find Hank the octopus, and because he's okay, blending into the so background. That was so funny. That was I know, probably right? Prue's favorite part of the whole thing. She ate that up. She's like, there he is! There he is! There he is! But, and I do, I will say that as far as Pixar goes, like, if you look back on other movies, like, Toy Story, yeah, that's a kid's movie, but it gets into some pretty heavy adult things as well. So, like, yep. they do obviously know how to make a movie that is going to be emotionally engaging for the entire audience, not just for the kids. And that, in that sense, it's way heads up on like Angry Birds, for instance. Like obviously it's, it's a way better movie than that and much more engaging than that because it, it can speak to every audience and you can watch it as a parent and not want to drill your brains out of your head with a dental drill. Like it's, it's fun and enjoying, and you're going to get something out of it at any age. So even though it was dark, it did a very good job. Well, and with the exception of uh, Cars and Cars 2, Pixar's always kind of been left alone to let themselves put story first yep. and then rely on everything afterwards. So yeah, like like with all their movies, and this, with this one especially, is yes, there's, you know, you got all the fun stuff for the kids. You got the bright fish and the funny sea lions, which the sea lions, by the way. Oh, the sea lions. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, Becky. I, Becky is, like, my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Becky, and then you had uh, Ed O'Neill as the beluga whale who couldn't use a sonar. Um, not Ed O'Neill. Uh, Ty Burrell, excuse me. Ty Burrell. Uh, also, Modern Family alum. Yep. Uh, and Local Boy, who owns two bars in Salt Lake City. So, yes. let's support oh, really? those. Yeah, he owns a beer bar and bar X. So, um, so yeah, there's there's plenty of fun stuff for kids to have, and then all of, all of Hank's shenanigans. Uh, but then there's a like you said, there's a deeper story going on. It's it's there's a, a message to it. Um, there's some definitely some adult humor that the kids won't get about where fish come from. Uh, which again, <laughs> I, I went and saw this with civilians, so I was surrounded by kids, and I think me and like the two parents in the whole place were the only ones laughing. Everyone else was. I don't get it. What's going on? Are there fish storks? Um, <laughs> but no, it's a lot of fun. It's something that both adults and kids can relate with. Uh, the animation, again, is gorgeous. I mean, no one's going to you know, look at this and be like, oh, it's so real, because 
anthropomorphic googly-eyed fish aren't real. Uh, but the way they, they, they move and they swim and the backgrounds and no. everything is just so r- wonderfully done. The short before it, I really thought oh, that was a real movie when oh, it wow. started. Yeah. The way that the waves and stuff are coming in, like it's the short was amazing. So cute. Yeah, yeah the short is called Piper, and it's the oh, story Piper. of a little a little baby sandpiper who's just hatched, doesn't want to go out of the nest, is scared of the water, and learning to face your fears. And it's it it is it's it's like photorealistic. It's just absolutely it's amazing. Yeah. And and they do more with zero words in that movie than in that short than most movies do in their entire like 90 minute 2 hour oh, run. Yeah. Thing. So good. So good. Can I just speak to one thing about this movie? When I went to work sure. after I saw it, I have a number of LGBTQI employees that work for me, right? And one of the girls, her name is Mel, and I'm she glad goes, you brought this up because I want to bring it up too. So yeah, she goes. So what did you think about the lesbian thing? And I said what? Because I hadn't I hadn't heard about this before going into the movie. And she was like, Me you know, the only two female lesbians and the like the two lesbian humans. Like it's a movie about fish. You had to notice the humans. And I was like, I genuinely don't know what the hell you're talking about. And she's like, well, it's all over the news. So she pulls it up and she shows me the picture of the scene that they're talking about. And I started laughing and I went, in what reality do you take a group full of parents standing around a whole bunch of strollers and decide that the two people are lesbians? Like, what? Well, she had short hair. I don't care that they are or that they aren't. Like, in no realm of reality should this have been an issue for anyone. And good. I mean, who cares if they're lesbians? Do any of you know who Ellen DeGeneres is? Like, well, and see, and that was, why do yeah, we that, care? That was one thing I had uh, in my review for Geeks Out that um, they wanted me to talk about. So there, there's two things. One, you've got crazy right-wingers who are pissed because how dare there be lesbians in a kid's film? And much like you said, guess they who voices Dory? And second of all, you've got everyone on the far left who are like, oh, well, it's horrible that they, you know, Pixar won't say they are they are lesbians. They're just saying, you know, you can, you can interpret it the way you want. You know, honestly, I thought that when I heard about this, I didn't really read much. I thought they were saying there was like a lesbian fish couple that were raising kids. And yeah. I was looking for that the entire movie. I was like, where are the lesbian fish? I want to see the lesbian fish. And then the end credits, I was like, did I just did I miss something? Like, what happened? So I went <laughs> home and I was writing my review. And I googled it because I was like, I don't, I didn't know what the hell I'm talking about before I go into this. <laughs> and I was like, I oh them, they were in the movie for literally a half a second. And I think it was ninety seconds. But whatever it was, it was like yeah, I didn't even notice them. I didn't even. It's a movie about a fish. <laughs> it's not it about the people. It doesn't cross your radar because it doesn't matter like when we got done talking about it i was so incensed and so angry because why is this an issue why does it matter to the left or the right it's just a representation of what our society actually is like get over it whether they're lesbians or they're not lesbians or however like it was such a blip on the radar that it should just be like the rest of our lives 
If you pass a lesbian couple walking down the street, you're not going to start yelling at them and tell them to get off the street. Or if you are, then you're an asshole and you need to go away. But it should have been the same thing in the movie. Just move on. Like, I didn't notice it. I like girls, and I didn't freaking notice it. So it well, shouldn't have been a big deal. My thought is, okay, so there's two women in a scene. First of all, you know, they could be friends. They could be they could be lovers. Who knows? But if the only justification you have is thinking, oh, this person is a lesbian, it's because she's got freaking short hair? What the hell? Like, how sexist and horrible is that? Oh, well, if a woman has short hair, she must be a lesbian. She must be one of those big old bulldogs. You know? It's like, no. It's so stupid. And it, yeah. it's, it, for people on both sides of the issue to be arguing over it is just complete BS. Go hug yourself. It's like, it's a, first of all, it's a kid's movie. Yes, I do want to see more LGBT representation in our media. I mean, hello. Absolutely. Uh, and guess what? It should be in kids' movies, because guess what? Kids have gay family members. Kids have gay parents. Kids have lesbian parents. It's part of their lives, and to think that, oh, they're so sweet and innocent, they need to be protected. Protected from what? I mean, that's that's why the whole right the whole right wing argument is just so asinine and stupid. It's not even worth addressing. But to you liberals out there, and I'm pretty liberal myself, so this is to the crazy people, um, quit being so stupid and looking for context and stuff that doesn't exist. You're reading between lines and you're finding subtext that isn't really there. It so. was actually really beautiful because if they were a lesbian couple and designed that way, that's exactly how it should have played out. Just with the flow, pretty unnoticeable, not this great big huge statement. Just let them be. Just let yeah, them be yeah. in the movie. Let and it happen. And herself. And move on. Yeah. And she's a yeah. lesbian. So let her have, like, go. Just. And even she it. said. She said, take it however you will. It's up to you to interpret. She's like, if, if you want to have lesbians in this movie, you want to have lesbian fishes, guess what? I'm sure there are. But it, just get over yourselves. Yeah. I, I mean, I would love, I'd love, you know, the, the Give Elsa a Girlfriend campaign. That's great. I'd love to see a Finding Dory sequel where Dory settles down with a girl fish. And that's like a main storyline and falls in love. That would be beautiful. I, I would have absolutely Oh my gosh, no... if she and the whale fell in love. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, the third movie, Finding Destiny. So and they, they give can... birth to a Danny DeVito fish. They Destiny can... found. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be, that would be gorgeous. I mean, but so yes, let's have um, let's have more gay representation in this, but I, I don't think that everything needs to be this big of an issue i i mean yeah exactly take it for how you will if if you think that they're gay great perfect um i would i would argue that like we shouldn't have to just like have little like breadcrumbs thrown at us and say like oh wink there's a gay character in here it's a hidden gay character who's on here for 90 seconds like well, that isn't that helpful to, like, the cause of having more mainstream acceptance of LGBTQ individuals. Like, let's... Well, and Andy, uh, you've been, you know, you've been to Salt Lake Comic Con on the couple times where I was on the LGBT panel. And, yeah. you know, I think every single time it always gets brought up about, well, representation, and then it comes up, well, do you want to have... It's like, it's like the South Park joke, is the one black kid in South Park is named Token. And mm-hmm. he's named that for a reason. Do you want to have your one token gay character just because? And then it just becomes pandering, and it's not representation. It's like, oh, crap, we don't do this. Then, you know, 
we have to do it to make sure we're inclusive of everyone. That's great if you want to be inclusive of everyone, and you should be. But make it realistic. Don't make it like, oh, and then, you know, <clears throat> for, you know uh, Frank the Fag stopped by and said hi, and then did a little twirl out the door, and then that was it, you know? I will yeah. say that I think, like, since this movie wasn't about the humans, I think they did it perfectly. Does that make sense? If this had been a movie about humans, then if those two characters had only had, like, 30 seconds of screen time and they moved on, I think that would have been a disservice. But I think where this movie was about the fish and about finding parents, not about finding relationships, I feel like they did it perfectly. They gave them some credence, and and they let it be representative of what our society has in it and then moved on without making it a statement piece. I think that was I think that was really beautiful and perfect. Yeah. I think just just you know, we talked about Elsa, just let it go. Let it go. <laughs> so, going back to before we we, we got out of the subject, which I'm glad we did. Yeah. Cuz it's been it's been discussed a lot. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. No, 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 cuz we both all of us wanted to bring it up, so. Yeah. Uh, but going back to you mentioned uh, the, the short at the beginning, Piper, and how they did the you know how how just almost photorealistic it looked. Uh, to me, it was almost like they took all the tricks they learned from the good dinosaur mm-hmm. and applied to this. And so, th- this actually goes into my next question, which I want to get your guys' opinion on. Um, you know, good dinosaur. If you look at the way they portrayed things in Piper and where they're probably going to go, it's almost like that was like a test to see what they could do and where they could kind of push the envelope. And if you remember, my thoughts on Good Dinosaur was I really did like it. It was a good movie, and I've liked it more since I've gone back to see it. But it almost, again, felt like they were showing off that they could do these cool tricks. And you know what I said was that you know Pixar sets the bar so incredibly high. Are we judging the movie based off its own merits or based off of its Pixar merits? So my question would be for Finding, you know, Finding Dory... I mean, yeah, it's not a movie that's going to change your life. It doesn't. It's not as deep as like Inside Out. So, are we able to look at it purely objectively from a filmmaking standpoint, or is it inevitable that we're going to have to compare it against like Wall-E or Inside Out or Toy Story Three? I will give it the Spider-Man treatment. With great filmmaking power comes great filmmaking responsibility, and I will judge a Pixar movie more harshly. The same way I will judge a Steven Spielberg movie more harshly or a Shane Black movie and because most of the time they are able to deliver such amazing quality things that there there is, quite frankly, a higher bar. Now, that being, that being said, I mean, I've sounded like I've been really, really negative about Finding Dory here. Uh, my overall score might be surprising considering how negative I've sounded is an 8 uh, which is the highest I've given to any other uh, animated movie this year, except for Zootopia. So, uh, you know, I think that this is still a great film. I do think Pixar has the bar set higher for them, and rightfully so. And I think they, they didn't quite make it, but in the realm of all of the other uh, kids' movies that are out there, I mean, you, you compare this to... Kung Fu Panda 3 or uh, or Angry Birds um, it, it just is is head and shoulders above most of them and 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 I think that's that's worth pointing out 
Okay, so I think that um, Pixar has set a really high bar for itself in that when they do a sequel or an addition to another movie, they do it like they did with Toy Story, where they continue to get better with each one, and they don't make it just a straight-to-DVD release movie just to make more money off of and to sort of satisfy kids when their parents don't want to do anything with them. Like, I felt like the Aladdin sequels were that way. <laughs> like, yep. There's there's a lot of movies that they do where they forego the entire storyline. Like, oh, let's do an Aladdin sequel where all of a sudden they're not married anymore and he's still a street rat. Like, they have set a bar to where they, they make a story that is an addition to another story, but it definitely stands on its own. And even though I know I said I wanted more originality out of the movie, they... They add its own storyline to each one, and um, I like that they challenge themselves that way, so that it it stands as a movie and not just filler. And I I think that they are definitely raising that bar every time. Yeah, like I I, I try to be as objective as objective as you can be for the subjective uh, review mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on Pixar movies as much as I can because. Yeah, like when you when you are known for excellence, you always do set the bar higher, and there always is a greater expectation coming from you. Uh, but at the same time, is it fair that I would judge Pixar differently than I do? I would DreamWorks, for instance. I mean, it's I, I guess yes and no. I mean, we, people shop at Nordstrom because they expect a higher end experience. You wouldn't go to Target and expect the same experience you get from Nordstrom. So I guess it is kind of fair to to judge them on separate levels. Uh, I judge my kids on different levels. <laughs> and my employees, like, you expect different things out of different people because they all have their own strengths and, and weaknesses, I guess. But yeah, you know, I, I love this movie a lot. The only real complaint I had was the really frequent flashbacks because I'm doing his door, he got her memories back. It just kind of got a little old after a while. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't really distracting or even took me out of the movie, but... It kind of felt like they did a lot, and I felt they could have told the story a bit better as far as her regaining some thoughts of where she came from or what she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it wasn't enough to to distract me from the, from the movie. So I don't know. I I liked it a lot. I can't, you know, Finding Nemo is definitely one of their best films. It's not my favorite. I'd still probably have to go with uh, I mean, like Wall-E or Inside Out or Toy Story Three. Those three kind of take the top spots for me as far as my favorite Pixar films. Uh, but that being said, I mean, it it had everything I wanted. It was funny, it was colorful, uh, and it had emotion. I mean, there's a certain scene towards the end with a bunch of seashells. That was just like, that broke my heart. <laughs> oh, was, yeah. Um, right? Because it was just so, it was so perfectly done, though. I mean, it was like, that's, you know, what parents would do. Uh, so, I, I, I don't have too many complaints. It was, I wouldn't, the only thing I would go in and change might be some of the flashbacks. So I'm, I'm kind of hovering around a nine. Because I had a fun time with it. I definitely want to see it again. Uh, it's bright. It's colorful. It's good for kids. It's funny for adults. And the sea lions, like, oh, my God, those sea lions. I, every time they're on screen, I, just, I almost peed my pants laughing. <laughs> oh, and we, got, we forgot to mention the best Sigourney Weaver running gag oh, I've yes. ever seen in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great. Sigourney Weaver is like the, the new uh, John Ratzenberger of of Pixar movies. It's like when, whenever she's in one, you, as like a disembodied voice, you know that it's going to be even better. So, yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm at a nine. I liked it a lot. Uh, 
stay to the credits. Again, there's a lot of fun little throwbacks to Finding Nemo. Uh, is it their best movie? No, but I, as far as I, I think it's a good follow up to to the original. So it's one of their best sequels. If you if you take away the Toy Story sequels, it is the best of their sequels. Toy Story two and Toy Story three are so amazing that I it's like hard to I think even better than than the first Toy Story. So oh, Toy Story three is is definitely their. I would say the best one of that, that series. I, I love Toy Story too. Absolutely. Well, that that Jesse song by Sarah McLaughlin makes me cry every time. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Aww. So Brooke, your final rating. My final rating. Mm, I was before we started reviewing it. I was at a seven, but I think I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. Yay. You guys win. No, no winning or losing. <laughs> the real winners here. I'm kidding. No, it was, it was good. The real winner. Not here. as good as a caramel sucker, but it was good. <laughs> the real winner here was Disney because this made has made a crap ton of money at the box office, <laughs> and it and it will continue to, and rightfully so. And DVDs and Blu-rays and digital copies are going to get worn out if it were possible to wear out a digital copy. Oh, I'm sure they'll find a way. I'm sure they will find a way because it's Disney and they'll want you to buy it in a new format in five years. <laughs> Did you guys see what Prudence said yesterday? No. I mean, I for, for as much as for as much as she said that she didn't like it as much of her as her sucker, like it made an impact on my four year old. Like we were <laughs> okay. First of all, my kid's creepy, so I'm not going to tell you the whole freaking story because she's creepy, but. Um, at the end of her, her telling me this story about how she hears people, I asked her what she thought she heard, and she said, Mom, I don't remember. I forget things sometimes like Dory. Aww. <laughs> and it was really cute. Like, she had a way to, because she really, like, I'll ask her stuff all the time, and she's like, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember. And she finally had a way to relate to that feeling and be able to express it for herself. And I thought that was really sweet. So, well yeah. done, Pixar. Yeah. I, I, I actually thought of your daughter when, when I was watching this, because I'm like, this. I think this is a good like latching-on point for any kid who feels like their, their brain is maybe wired a little bit differently. Anyone who's like unique and, and awesome. Uh, because that's what, yeah. that's what Dory is. And, and I love that, like... Dory's unique view on life is what won the day for her and her persistence and uh, the fact that she remembers some things but she doesn't remember other things uh, like it's it's great and it's a great outlook on life and, and it's you know it's what I keep telling my kids too it's like just keep swimming just keep swimming it's what we what we have to do in life yeah and she's been singing that song since we left which as a parent, maybe that's why this one was hard for me because it was so emotional for me. But the the scene, and I won't get into it, but where her parents are like concerned for her, but then every scene and flashback where they're just like so supportive and loving, and you're perfect. Like, God. yeah, those parts. Like, I just cried through the whole movie because it's so. <laughs> it's pretty. It's very relatable when you've got a kid that you know is gonna have different challenges throughout their life and they're so amazing and you would never change them but yet you can see how hard it's going to be like it's it's beautiful they did a great job yeah 
Cool. Well, that'll take us to the end of this week. It was, uh, you know, that was pretty much one of the only movies that came out. There was uh, Central Intelligence, which, uh, unfortunately for me, played during, during work time, so I wasn't able to go. Uh, next week, it's kind of an interesting week. So the big, big movie is the uh, Back Because No One Demanded It, Independence Day Resurgence. Now, as cheesy and campy as the first movie is, I still like it. It's still fun. I wasn't really clamoring for a sequel, but I was like, oh, what the hell, we'll go see it. Well, they've pulled this off all the screening uh, uh, screening uh, things for critics, so either they're just saying, hey, we don't care, or two, this movie's so bad, we don't want to let anyone see it until it comes out, so... Not a ugh. good sign. Yeah, I mean, they normally only do this with horror movies, uh, and they also did it with, like, The Last Transformers, so let's keep that in mind. Uh, the only other wow. movies next week, then, uh, you've got Swiss Army Man, which was a Sundance movie, which is finally hitting the uh, theaters. You've got uh, Free State of Jones, which is a Civil War drama, and then The Shallows, which looks like it's Jaws on an island, or like a little rock, and the tide's coming in, so... Uh, I know a couple That's of people. Terrifying. Who, yeah, I know a couple of people who'd be very, very excited to see that. So uh, uh, you know, one, one, I might have to go try and do this this week. Um, they are screening the Shallows along with Jaws uh, here. The Alamo Drafthouse does this every year, where you go and you float on an inner tube while you watch the movie on a big screen, and then they have divers underneath the water, Wait, and when me? the shark pops out, they like pull you in. <laughs> just random people. So yeah, they're showing You're the shallow. You're in a real pool? Yeah, not just like a pool, but like a giant uh, man-made lake. It's like a lake, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, uh-uh. they... nope, nope. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah, it's they they normally use it for like uh, jet skis and stuff like that, but they they put up a giant screen and you shut up. Yeah, you yeah. So. So, oh, that is terrifying. Like, I'm in tears right now. That's awful. <laughs> yeah, Brooks, Brooks is like, you have to go do this. And it's one of those things every summer. I'm like, I'm going to go see the Jaws on the water. And then tickets always sell out. But they're doing it for, like, an extended run. And they're doing it with the shallows. So I may, I may have to do it. We'll see. If I do, I'll let you know how the shallows was in, <laughs> in the water. Oh, one other thing. Speaking of special events, um, get your tickets now. They just went on sale. Batman the Killing Joke is going to be screened one day only, July 25th through Fathom Events. Uh, This is the adaptation of the Alan Moore comic, and it's uh, Mark Hamill returning as the voice of the Joker and Kevin Conroy, everyone's favorite animated Batman. Uh... It's rated R, so this is not for your kids. And if you know anything about the killing joke, you know why it's rated R. If you, Just don't, day, yeah. if you don't know anything about the killing joke, uh, may I recommend you go and listen to Adam and uh, everyone else on Funny Books and Firewater. Was that the, the second episode you did the killing joke? It was actually the first two. We had to split it, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good stuff. Um very intense, but I've been looking forward to this animated adaptation. Uh, it's coming out on DVD Blu-ray in like September, October, uh, but they're going to show it in theaters July 25th. So go get your, your tickets right now. Yeah. And the cool thing, because it is a fathom event, uh, is pretty much every city should have well, all major cities should at least have one theater showing it. I know here in Salt Lake, I think we've got like three. So, 
Uh, it's but yeah, it's definitely something you'll want to see on the big screen. Um, <clears throat> if not, you can always wait because it will be it'll be on DVD, Blu-ray soon. But uh, it's really cool because Mark Hamill hung up the uh, hung up the uh, the flower, I guess you would say, <laughs> or for the the acid spitting flower for the Joker of a while ago, and said he would only come back to do this role uh, in the Killing Joke and. It's pretty much known as one of the most iconic uh, Joker stories ever told. It's kind of where we got to see the Joker for the horrible bastard that he really is. Uh, and a lot of his uh, his origin story, which to this point is still kind of unknown, uh, was told through here and has carried over into the movies and some of the video games and stuff. So yeah, July 25th, uh, make sure you get your tickets. But until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's Scored a key, he's gonna fly, punk ass fly. Hey everyone, um, so we just wanted to come back really fast. Uh, so when we finish recording, we kind of stay on for a little bit, discuss screenings coming up, uh, who's going to see what, if you have an extra plus one, do you want someone to come with you? And so we were doing that, and I, I mean literally 30 seconds into our little post-podcasting conversation, um, I was on Facebook and saw the news that Anton Yelchin had died. And I was like, holy crap, and Andy and Brooke were like, what, what, what? I'm like, hold on one second. And so I just kind of did some quick research because... We all know how Facebook loves to say that people are dead. I mean, Betty White's, Betty White's died more times than, you know, the Phoenix in the comic books. Um, and then it was confirmed. So, I mean, this morning, uh, Anton Yelchin, who most people kind of know from Chekhov in the new Star Trek movies, uh, he, from what we can tell, was got out of his car, was checking the mail. Did, again, this is all kind of conjecture. Didn't put the car in park or emergency brake, and it kind of rolled into him. And we killed him. And, you know, he was only 27. I mean, we've talked very highly about some of his movies, like Green Room, which was one of the few movies this year that I gave a perfect 10 to. Um, and so Andy Andy wrote up the memoriam for him on Big Shiny Robot. We posted it on our page as well. And we kind of just wanted to take a, a second to talk about what he's done. I mean, we, we did this one time before for Wes Craven. And we're not saying that Anton Yelchin was the master of his craft or was this, you know, was this legendary actor. But the thing was is everyone knows him from Star Trek. I was at work today and I mentioned like, oh crap, I was kind of bummed he passed on. And everyone's like, who is that? And I was like, he was Chekhov from the new Star Treks. And they're like, I kind of remember that. I'm like, just go Google his name. And the moment a picture comes up, like, oh, it's that guy. And it kind of feels like he was in a lot of, oh, he was that guy roles. Yep. But the thing was is that he was an amazing actor who did so much stuff that was really cool and so many movies that no one remembers or no one even thought oh he was in that or that were overlooked or become kind of more cult classics so he was really prolific I mean he he started acting at the age of 10 and he luckily didn't fall into the the whole like child actor thing yeah Um, he didn't he was really grounded and just a normal guy and and I think the first thing I ever remember seeing him in uh, was Alpha Dog. And that's me too. Yeah, and and that's just like, 
how old was he at that point? Like 16? Like He, he was really young. young. And it's funny because we, this is again way back in the day. I mean, I had just met Eddie. Uh, so that dates it back like seven, eight years ago when, when that movie came out. No, he was probably maybe 20 when he did that movie. Yeah, okay. But he was playing like a 16 year old. And we actually went to Redbox. I think Redbox just come out or like we had a blockbuster still. I don't know. It was like a dollar movie. And we rented Alpha Dog just because we all thought it'd be funny to see Justin Timberlake act in a crappy movie because he probably couldn't act. Yeah, right? Color us surprised in the movie. We're like, damn it, he can act. He can sing, he can act, he's good looking, he's got everything going for him. Yeah. But the surprise was this kid, Anton Yelchin, who played the main, not even the main character, but the kid they're going to kill. Yeah. And by the end of the movie, like, it was so heartfelt and so sad what happened and his performance was so great like i was in tears and i don't cry at movies like i didn't wasn't bawling i wasn't like you know end of bridge of terabithia crying because that's ugly sobbing from me (laughs) but he he brought such a great charisma and just average guy or whatever role he was playing he was good in. even in movies that weren't that good like odd thomas which is based on one of my favorite dean coons books wasn't a good movie but he was good in it so i just i don't know andy what are maybe one or two non-Star Trek movies you want to talk about that he did a great job of that maybe people should go see or maybe revisit because they kind of forgot how good he was? Um, oh, gee, that that's tough. I I mean, I, I would just say go with Star Trek and go with Green Room. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that uh, that I would highlight is he was in the Terminator Salvation attempted reboot. Uh, and was the only good part in it. Yeah, and he was the young Kyle Reese, and yeah, and he he literally was the only good part in that movie. Uh, the movie known better for Christian Bale's on-screen rant yelling at the director. Oh, good for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but he was he was pretty good in it, and uh, I it was just amazing to me that like Anton Yelchin had this kind of weird trifecta of uh of reboots where he he played other characters and just and just took it in a great direction that was one check offs the other and then the third is fright night uh which mm-hmm. i think is a really underrated movie and and just i don't know how people missed that when that came out but that was funny uh it was scary and and just really good uh and but at the same time, he was out there doing all these weird indie movies and uh, really prolific just putting out low-budget, no-budget movies that, mm-hmm. that you you never would have known. And then he's also starring in these these summer tentpole blockbusters. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Fright Night was one of the first ones that popped to my mind. Uh, just because I was, again, I was at work and I was showing people trailers like, hey, you, you know, you don't know who he is, but trust me, like you got to see this movie. You got to see this movie. And the Friday Night remake is one of the few I will say, and maybe people will get pissed at me. I think it's better than the original. Oh yeah, it's, it's more fun. And I went and watched the trailer again, and I forgot how badly marketed that movie was because that movie is funny as hell. You've got David Tennant as the lackluster would-be vampire hunter on TV. Mm-hmm. You've got McLovin as Evil Eddie, mm-hmm. and. That movie is so funny, ass. I and mean, yeah, there's it's got some horror moments and some action moments, but it's really overall just a goofy horror movie. And the trailer shows none of that. It makes it come across as this straight up horror movie that is about vampires. And I'm not 
I've never really been a huge Colin Farrell fan, but he did a great job as the vampire. And, you know, Anton Yelchin was great as the as the kid who was fighting him. Uh, but then I, I remember, and I, I haven't seen this movie probably since it came out, but uh, he was fantastic in Charlie Bartlett, where he oh, starred yeah. opposite uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yep. And so, I mean, that, that's a great one. I mean, Kat Dennings is there. You've got great actors. Uh, but, again, my most recent go-to would easily be... Uh, Green Room because that was one of my favorite movies of the year. It's expertly shot, well acted. He's he's perfect in his role, and I don't know. It just it's it's he's an actor who everyone knows from one role, and I think it's people need to branch out and find out what he's done because I'm just on IMDb looking at everything, and I mean he was in Pirates Band of Misfits, which was a um, an animated movie. He did the Smurfs, which I didn't he know. He said the Smurfs. Yeah, like yeah. what the heck, right? Who uh, knew? Lots of stuff. I mean, he's done lots of TV. He has Criminal Minds, Law and Order. Uh, he was uh, he got started originally in uh, ER. I guess he was a in that. Yeah. Uh, so he's just, he's done a lot of stuff, and I would really encourage people to go back, look through his filmography, and realize that this kid, you know, had he been sober with us in ten years easily could be saying like, you know, this kid might be like the next Leo DiCaprio or something else. He just had so many understated roles that no one or very few people paid attention to, but those who did really saw the potential he had to become an iconic actor. Well, and one of the things I want to point out about his time as Chekhov is, I mean, Chekhov is a, a very small role in that movie. He's got like a dozen lines tops. But he created that character and inhabited it so well and made it memorable uh, to the point that it became an internet meme of him saying, I can do this. I can do this. You know, uh, it, it, like that's what people remember. And it, it was that boyish enthusiasm uh, that ma- brought this, this lightness to the Star Trek reboot. Um, that had frankly been missing from a lot of Star Trek for for years at that point, and uh, it it the the tributes by his co-stars and by J.J. Abrams uh, show you know the impact that he had, and mm-hmm. um, I just I don't know how they can replace him. I mean, I guess it's uh, I guess it's kind of good that. Like of all of the people on the Starship Enterprise, the the youthful ensign is probably the the one guy that you could actually like write off the show. And like Chekhov was only even in like half of the original series episodes to begin with, and he's like barely in the movies. And the only thing people remember is him saying nuclear vessels. So <laughs> you know, uh, it, you know the fact that that Anton Yelchin was memorable enough. Uh, uh, in in much the same way with Wichter, 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 which I always thought was funny because I don't know a single Russian who has a problem pronouncing their V's. And, uh, <laughs> it, it's very much the, uh, the stereotypical... Yeah. You know. uh, yeah. Oh, I, I forgot. He was he was the kid in Hearts of Atlantis. Oh, yeah. 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 I, uh, and, that was, yeah. and that was back when he was... Because he was born in 89, so that was back when he was like 13... And then yeah. Alpha Dog was kind of the bigger role he was known for. And he, yeah, he was 16, 17, probably 16 when they filmed it. So, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, he just, it's kind of funny because we talked about with finding Dory on this episode, how Dory has this very determined naivety about, you know, hey, I'm just going to rush forward and do this and because this is what I, my gut tells me to do and I'm just going to be happy and cheerful. And like you mentioned, with Chekhov in the Star Trek movies, that's kind of his, his kind of guiding value there. He's like, well, you know, I can't do a Russian accent or I would, but I'm going to do it. You know, like you said, the meme and everything. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it's, I guess, if, uh, you know, we've had so many shocking deaths this year. I mean, with David Bowie and Prince and big, huge names. And you know, he's not a big, huge name. I think he, he would have been eventually. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that we should take a second to talk about it because this is someone who really was taken way too soon. And uh, just go back and look at his stuff. He's, he's got a ton of good things. And even the stuff he's in that isn't that good, He's he does a great job in it. Yeah. So... Anyways, that's it. We just want to take a couple seconds to talk about that. Uh, again, thank you very much for listening, and go check out Green Room, Alpha Dog, some of his earlier work, uh, and definitely when Star Wars Beyond comes out, or Star Trek, excuse me, Beyond comes out next month, uh, go see that. And he does have about five films on deck that are coming out later this year and next, so um, at least we'll get to enjoy some of his work even after his passing. See you at the movies, folks. See ya. by calls this week and he could not shake his cold still this emptiness persists 
Perhaps this is as good as it gets When you've given up the drink And those nasty cigarettes Now leave the party early At least with no regrets I watch the sun as it comes up I watch it as it sets Yeah, this is as good as it gets Sleeping with Marie. She is one sexy girl full of mystery. She says she doesn't love me, but she likes my company. For now, that's good enough for me. Oh, my, 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 it's a beautiful world. I like swimming in the sea I like to go out beyond the white breakers Where a man can still be free Or a woman if you are one I like swimming in the sea 